0: Good evening, everybody. My name is Todd. I'm an alcoholic. I want to uh, thank my buddy, Scott, Scott R., for allowing me to come down here and share my experience, strength, and hope with you guys. And uh, God, I, I could have skipped dinner, man. There's like kegs of Fruit Loops and, and Frosty Flakes. And I thought, man, back in the day when I was hitting the bong, I would go through half of that. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I want to welcome the 27 newcomers who got chips and got hugs. I want to welcome each and every one of you to Alcoholics Anonymous. I think one of the most important things that I can ever do in recovery is to do just that, which is to make the new person feel welcome. So I'm going to say it again, welcome. I have a really good life today because of Alcoholics Anonymous and because of a group of men here in South Orange County who loved me unconditionally. I did not know why at the time. I love those men very much to this day. And uh, we get to carry something called a message around here. It involves our experience, strength, and hope because I, I believe that each and every one of you new, new, new people here are capable of writing your own comeback story. That's what recovery to me is about, is that we get to come back from a situation, a place of a very, uh, first off, a fatal illness, something that's going to kill us, and we can totally turn the tide and have a life uh, filled with purpose and meaning and love and joy. And all of those things were completely absent in my life before I came into recovery. One of the scariest things that I think uh, I can only, I'm going to speak from my own experience, is when uh, alcohol and all the other things I was dealing with stopped working for me. I don't know if anyone here can relate to when the drink and the other stuff no longer works. Effectively, the stuff that I used to depend on, my best friend, alcohol and everything else, was my medicine. I remember my, my last drink, by the way. I remember my first one, too, and I think it's important that all of us remember what got us in here. On uh, Valentine's Day, uh, this is February 14th of 2007, I was drinking endless... Uh, Endless glasses of bourbon and Crown Royal and uh, giant piles of of powdered alcohol. And um, I was dying of this disease, watching the Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, win album of the year. All these people cheering on the Grammys. And I swear to God, you guys, I'll never forget this feeling of, oh, my God, look at these happy people. I'll never be one of them. Absent of all joy, void of all laughter. In fact, I hadn't laughed in a really long time. And I'm talking about legitimate laughter the true laughter, the laughter that comes from a loving place. I was just going, man, I want to be there, man. I just wanted to be living in someone else's skin, anybody, anybody's skin but my own. I uh, i have a sobriety date that's not... Um, my sobriety date's the most important day in my little world today. It's February 17th of 2007, and the only reason that I have not drank or gotten loaded is because of Alcoholics Anonymous and the love of these people that I'm going to share with you a lot more about. Because it's important. Because when we're new, when we're new, we're twisted. Not a lot makes sense. and, And truth be told, we've lost kind of our best friend. But we all know, too, that this is a progressive disease, which ultimately turns on all of us if we keep rolling. There's going to come a point in time where it's either going to stop working or we die. And uh, thankfully, I'm, I'm able to, uh, to live a life today because of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm glad that there's a solution today for, uh, today for my problem. It involves the steps. It involves this thing called unity, service, and recovery. This is going to take me a long time to find out what the heck that was and what a loving God could be and what a power greater than myself could possibly look like. I was uh, born and raised in Long Beach, and um, I'm the product of an alcoholic father, six foot four, boxer from the Marine Corps, and this guy was heavy. I never knew what was going to go down with that guy when he rolled in, ever. I could tell by the way the the car door closed. If it slammed shut, I hit under the bed. I think I'm probably not the only one in this room who's had to hide before being scared as a little kid due to something. For me, it was my father, because I never knew if I was going to get a hug or a left hook. And damn, that hurts when you're a kid. And it doesn't hurt so much the time, it hurts for years after. And alcohol became the great persuader and this great camouflage for me once I discovered it, that it allowed me to first and foremost, fit in with everybody. I had a whole bunch of different crews. I come from this place in Long Beach where everyone jams music. Backyard parties dominated our scene. Punk rock, reggae, you name it, we did it. We surfed, we drank from kegs, and we chased girls, and we surfed hard, and You know, when I was young, that's all I wanted to do. And I only spent time with people who drank the way that I did. And I can tell you about my first drink. It was a tall boy from my dad's, from the middle of his legs. He'd pick us up when he would show up. I didn't understand why dad wouldn't show up that much. Uh, He left my mom when I was seven. I have an older brother. And every now and then he'd show up. And when he did, he'd have either a big uh, Ole or a Schlitz tall boy, and he'd give me drags that thing, and I'm like seven, eight years old. And I would get him drinks at his home on Huntington Beach until he passed out, and I would drink some more of his beers. I'm just a little kid. My dad always smelled like liquor, and I I loved the way he smelled. I don't know why. Give him a kiss on his cheek, he always smelled like beer. I wanted to love my dad, and uh, there came a point in time where um, I hated that man. I hated him and I wanted to hurt him, and I'll get to that in a second too. Alcohol, when I, one of the things that I was consumed with as a young boy was I really wanted you to like me. I wanted everybody to like me, you know. I would act out a lot. I was I was pretty crazy. I would do things on dares that most people wouldn't do. The truth is, I wanted this acceptance because I think. What happened with me early on was I was teased a lot because my dad often was a no-show. You're playing sports and the dad said he's going to show up. He's never around or he fails to p- pick you up. And, you know, when we're young, we're brutal. We don't, we're, you know, as kids, we can be brutal with the things we say. You know, man, where's your drunk dad, man? You know, what's up with that guy? You know, and, you know, eternalize that stuff. And, and I, would, I would, this resentment towards just wanting someone to be there to kind of love me and push me along you know, was important, but he just wasn't around much. So when I discovered alcohol at the age of about 11 or 12, it was that subliminal FU. It was that subliminal middle finger for me that when I drank, I, didn't, I was no longer consumed. You know, I wasn't worried so much if the girls thought I was a decent-looking enough guy or if uh, I was funny enough or good enough athletically, and all those things just went away when I drank. So, for me, it was good medicine, man. By the way, I love the way it made me feel i I drink and I do a lot of other things for the effect and um, and I only spent time with people who lived the same way that I did as I got a little bit older into high school. some of my friends are doing the same called it 's called college and I was like i 'll get to that eventually and uh, I was more focused on uh, on jamming in backyards, playing in bands, and having lots of fun and uh and this is in the eight. God, I'm, God, 51. Jeez, I got to go there. I'm 51, man. And so, uh, you know, people were already dying in our neighborhood of overdoses. You know, this is in the uh, mid-80s. And um, I'm like, man, I'm not going down like that. And I don't drink like my dad. My dad's a guy who drinks from sunup to sundown. That scary guy, man. I just, I just, I just drink at night and I hang out with my friends and, and I'm not like him. So I'm not an alcoholic. And by the way, when when the drink and everything else is working for me, I don't need a program of recovery. In fact, I don't want it. And you can tell me, dude, you, you don't drink normally. You're passed out on lawns in the front of our friend's pads, and, our, and their, our, their parents, are they're coming home to see you with cans, you know, strewn about their lawn and your motorcycle on its side, and it's like, I'm like, I don't see what the problem is. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, alcohol, if you want to call it, worked for me at the time. But anyone outside of my crew would be like, dude, you're a mess. I had a, time at a moment in high school where I, um, we had this little place in Belmont Shore where this, where this dude that was like 10 years old, older than us, he would, he would sell us beer like you just put it in his pocket. And uh, this guy's name was Adam. I loved Adam because Adam would sell us what we wanted. And I went on a Friday, and uh, he goes, dude, I can't, you need to stop drinking, man. He's like, you were in here last night. I go, I'm in here all the time. What's the problem? He goes, dude, you were here naked (laughs) last night asking for a case of Coors. I lived lived about two and a half blocks away, so I'd walk down in a blackout, totally naked, asking Adam for some beer, and uh, and the next night when he told me that, I said, you know, I've got clothes on now. (laughs) And he started always trying to make a little joke and I ultimately got the beer, but I did not recognize I had a problem at a very, very young age, at a very young age. And um, I moved down to San Diego to go to college uh, in the mid-80s and things got worse there. I'm going to qualify a little bit more because I really want to talk about the solution, how bitchin' this life really is. Things got worse for me. Um, and I... Uh, I think there's probably some people in the crowd here who have a similar history to mine. I, uh, I was prescribed alcohol. I almost died from, from uh, prescription alcohol. I was on for 17 years after a back injury. I'm an alcoholic first and foremost, but that stuff almost killed me too. And I just, when I discovered that, I'm like, this is exactly how God and Jesus Christ want me to feel for the rest of my life. If you've ever had that feeling, you know what I'm talking about. When you feel so warm and comfortable, you get this blanket. I'm like, okay, God, it's on now. It's on. This is good. And I don't ever want this feeling to go away, ever. I, uh, I moved my way back to Long Beach in the uh, early 90s, and uh, there's probably some music fans in here. I grew, we had some great musicians in our neighborhood. And a, a really good friend of mine was Brad Knoll from Sublime, and I loved him so much, and we were very close. And, and I was with him on the night that he died of a heroin overdose in San Francisco. I was at his wedding the week before. He had a baby boy, Jacob, who was 11 months old. And I can tell you that it completely broke our hearts. And as an alcoholic, um, knowing that I was the last person he had tried to call before he died, I don't have any, I don't have any coping skills in life, you see. I don't, I don't know what grieving's about or processing loss or truly hurting. So when something, when something goes wrong in my life, and right, by the way, I drink no matter what. It is my solution. And when we lost my buddy, the grieving was, uh, was nonstop, and so was the using, and so was the drinking. And, a lot, and some friends of ours died because of it, because of broken hearts. And so fast forward, I, I continued to do what I thought uh, was best for me, which was um, I drank all the time, I was functioning, actually. I, I actually was at a, a somewhat of a successful business for many, many years. And then we start to change. When I say change, I'm talking about where you're no longer hanging out with people being social. I don't know if anyone can relate to isolation at its finest, but I can tell you that down here in San Clemente, uh, towards the back end of, of my disease, I was constantly wearing pajamas. I had an office that I could not show up to and employees that I could not talk to. My mom was scared and everyone who loved me and cared about me was um, frightened of me. And I was just alone and not just for a couple of weekends. I didn't come in here on a bad weekend. I like to say I came in really ab- about a bad decade and and that's not to be a wise guy, it's the It's the serious, dire nature of what this disease does to us. This disease wants to separate us from everything and everyone that we freaking love, and it'll do its job perfectly, left unaddressed. And we have a solution today, and I found a solution. And I crawled into a hospital uh, here in South Laguna Beach uh, on February 16th of 2007, and they said that you're dying from this disease and you are not going to live absent help. I had no idea what help meant. See, I just thought if I just detox, I'm good. I'm good, man. I just, I just want to feel better, man. i got to stop using all that stuff. I can drink a little bit. They said that you're an alcoholic first and foremost. That stuff, the other stuff that you're using does not make you unique. It took me a while to wrap my head around that because, see, when I came into this thing, I'm, I'm a little over six foot three, and I'll tell you I felt about two foot four. A broken little kid with, um, without compass, and I met this group of men. In fact, uh, Scott's one of them. Scott's like four and a half months ahead of me. And it's a trip when you see people who are happy. It's a trip when you're newly sober and you walk into a room and people are bright, they're hugging, they're laughing, and man, that's, I want that, but how the hell am I going to get from here to there? And for, and for me, it was going to take a little bit of time. I didn't sleep for 44 days. I finally got some sleep on April 1st. Uh, if I didn't sleep by day 50, I was going to blow my brains out with a 9 millimeter. And that's what the byproduct of my um, prescription alcohol had gotten me after 17 years of, uh, of abusing. And I, I clawed into this thing. You know, I, I found a gentleman who, to me, first and foremost was happy. And he asked me, he said, uh, he goes, do you believe that I have a God? And I said, I do. He goes, you're going to have to borrow mine for a while because you're a long ways away. I thought that this was a religious program. By the way, guys, thank God it's not. For so long, it was a group. It was all of you people who became this higher power. See, I believed you guys were doing something that was way better than what I had. And I wanted what you had. And this has nothing to do with the outsides. For years, I was obsessed about success, acquiring stuff, buying houses, cars, all the BS stuff that comes with money. And I'm completely dead inside with nothing going on. So my belief system was in you guys. How are these guys happy, joyous, and free? And I hated that when I came in. Happy, joyous, and free. It works if you work it. Relax. Don't struggle. I'm like, man, I want to take a buck knife to my skin. It won't stop crawling. I have insects that I can't see that won't leave my skin alone. And I remember this guy here. That's why I loved him Im- immediately because he was pissed all the time too. <laughs> and uh, no offense. But the love was legitimate. Um, the first step, uh, you know, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. My sponsor literally hugged me and he laughed at me. He said, <laughs> Dod, you can't ever drink or use again. It, it, you're through with the first step. You can't talk. <laughs> Duh, yeah. you know, and that was me for like a long time. <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you what, it's a great asset for me today because you guys, I swear to God, I hope I never forget. I hope I never forget the pain that I was in. My first step was covered within a few seconds. He said that in order for you to have a decent life, you have to do Alcoholics Anonymous like you did the other things times 10. There's no relaxing for you in this deal. And um, so I said, okay. He said, are you willing? I said, I am. He goes, can you be open-minded? And I didn't know what that meant. I'm not there yet. Can you be honest with me? And I said, I think that I can. Open-mindedness came to me a little bit later, guys. But those three things, and it talks about it in the big book, are absolutely necessary and in order for us to not only recover, but I think to stay in recovery. To be honest, open-minded, and willing. You know, the second step, see, wait a minute, how are these steps going to help me? You don't understand, man. I'm not sleeping. I feel crappy all the time, and um, I'm never going to get there. See, I've had that tells me I'm not going to be okay. It's never going to be okay. i got a broken freaking brain the guy says, we can't fix a broken brain with a broken brain. He goes, just follow. Just follow. And so I said, okay, I'll give it a year. In fact, that's the challenge I want to offer to the new people. I want you to give it a year, and I want you guys to work all the 12 steps and be very honest with someone who has a working knowledge of the big book, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Working knowledge. Who understands the fatal nature of this disease who has been there and done that, who helps people, and knows how to help get you guys into something called service. I didn't know what that meant either. What do you mean, service? You need to go to Charlie Street. Who knows what Charlie Street is? Charlie Street's in Costa Mesa. I love that place. I still go there to this day. And I would break out the big book and read with guys while I'm shaking. And I've got like 38 days of sobriety. And the, and the guy rolls up. He says, Jesus, man, what, what time did you get here today? I go, dude, I got a 30-day chip. He goes, whoa. <laughs> I was not a program of attraction. <laughs> and that's the truth, you guys. I, I shook uncontrollably for like my first eight or nine months as I was detoxing. My post-acute withdrawal symptoms lasted over a year. But I had this these intermittent moments, these little bits. I'm starting to smile a little bit. I'm starting to mean it when I hug you. I'm starting to mean it when I say I love you. And where is that stuff coming from? Because I'm, we're talking about a guy here who was violent, hated himself, and was so detached from people and love. Such an important thing. I know it might sound goofy, but it's a fact. It's all about the love in this thing, man. And that's what we're supposed to do is love each other, because I still have no chance without you guys. I still have no chance with doing the things that we do on a day-to-day basis day to day. I wish I could go to like, I, I had this dream one time, man, you know, it talks about we have a daily reprieve based upon the maintenance of our spiritual condition. How about a monthly reprieve if we go to one meeting? Hey, man, like 12 meetings a year, and that'd be great if like one meeting lasted a whole month? It doesn't work. In fact, um, it, it has fatal consequences for people who think that maybe one a month will work. And Scott and I were talking before about a beloved friend of ours who was very dear to us and stopped doing the things that we do. And uh, he's still alive, but he's suffering. And I don't want to go back to that place. So I try my best to stay in these things called steps, and 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 they can still be kind of confusing to me, by the way, often. So the second step, how am I going to be, you know, something's going to restore me to sanity. Check this out. I love this. It's broken into three parts. First, you just come to meetings. After a while, you'll come to mentally, and then you'll come to believe. Now, that really resonated with me. Now, we talk we have a third step. But we have to do, we have to make a decision. We have to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. But I didn't have a God. The truth is, I have to constantly redecide. I have to redecide on a daily basis. I've had plenty of moments in my recovery where God is literally in the trunk of my car. And if you guys who are new stick around, you'll get you'll. You'll understand what I'm saying, I promise, later on. Because those sayings, like, relax, take it easy, don't struggle, remove my expectations, try to live a life of acceptance, try to be the best guy I can, try not to overreact to the saying called life, that's just a few examples of my doing God's will. Because, see, forever, you guys, I live life my way. Forcing my will upon everyone and everything and always wanting the results to go my way. And when I was disappointed, guess what I would do? I drank right, wrong, or indifferent, man. Holidays meant nothing to me. I, my disease was like AM, PM. It was 365 days a year, full time. The inventory process, uh, I did not get relief in the inventory process. I didn't get close to this creator like it talks about in the big book, but I did get very honest. And I cried for a couple of hours with my sponsor. You guys, step six and seven are things that I've had to constantly, constantly readdress because the truth is, and I'm I'm not ashamed to admit this, but it's important that I share this. My defects of character got me into a lot of trouble as a sober man. And left unaddressed, my defects of character actually had me with a loaded gun in my mouth at five years sober. And by the way, it's okay to talk about depression because we're not doctors around here. Let me make that perfectly straight. I had clinical depression, and I got treated for it. And I share that with you guys because it's important for people to hear or think you might be going through it because it's very real. I got some help with that, and I don't have a gun anymore in my house, and I haven't put a gun on my mouth for over seven years, and I'm glad. My mom's glad, too. Um, So I got the relief, you guys, of the ninth step. The immense process to me was an awakening on a single level, spiritual, emotional, and I got to, be, I got to feel lighter inside. And, and, and I use this silly phrase, but seriously, brick by brick, my, my insides became lighter. And I invite you new people to please try this, to please work all of these 12 things because I swear to God it's a miracle. And I didn't think I was the guy, screw that, it's not going to work for me like I'm something special. Just figuring a way out of this thing, man. So during the amends process, um, I went to go visit my father. This, man, this is a guy who uh, I was actually going to hurt because in between the time of being a kid and being a grown man, I learned how to box, and I'd had plenty of fights in the Long Beach. We do a lot of that. And I was going to have a little talk with him. that involved a left hook that he used to give me. Here's the beautiful thing about Alcoholics Anonymous is I got to see my father and hug him and love him. I got to hold my dad in a cafe in Palm Springs because he was breaking down and dying of alcoholism, borrowing money for cigarettes a few years before. He was a self-made millionaire working, working his butt off, worked hard, created a great industry, and he was dying almost penniless. He told me he was proud of me. I wasn't angry with him anymore, and I got to invite that man back into my life. That's what AA did for me. It's a big deal when you've hated someone for a long time and you want to love them, but you just can't seem to get there. And it's important that I impress this upon you guys because, see, I was still in my first year of recovery, and on Valentine's Day of 2008, my father committed suicide. I was 72 hours away from my one-year birthday. He wrote a note to my brother and I. He says, I love you boys, but I can no longer go on living the way I'm living. And I think that most of us who have been desperate in this disease can understand the serious nature of this and how we can possibly go there. But I got my dad back for an hour and a half. It's a big deal to me to this day. It's still like a Christmas present when I think about it. My, my brother, who is an alcoholic, didn't get that opportunity. I'll never forget it. He smelled of cigarettes and he smelled of booze and it was one of the best hugs I've ever had in my life. What a gift. The mom that I scared for years and years and years, she lost sleep. That's, by the way, people lose sleep over all of us because of our behavior. It happens. And that woman hasn't lost sleep since. And I get to hold her hand. I do it a lot. I go out to Las Vegas and I hold her hand and I take that woman to the movies. She loves just these simple, silly things. One of the things that I love about the relationship with my mother is you guys, I get to listen to her. See, I can, in my disease, I hear, yeah, I hear you, I hear you. You guys, there's a big difference between hearing and listening. Being seated across from this woman whom I love dearly and just listening. I've actually gotten to learn more about my mom and get to know my mom. That's what we get, you guys, in this thing is we get people back in our lives and the love meter just starts to fill. And I love just talking about that. I love talking about that because I want you guys all to experience this for those of you who haven't. Because for those of you who have been around, you've had similar experiences where the joy as a result of doing some of this work starts to enter like sunlight of the spirit. My mom always says, by the way, I talked to her on my way here. She says, be sure to thank those people for me. So I'm doing that. And that applies to all of you because you're all my friends, even though I don't know you. She says, thank those people for saving my son. She says that every time I leave her home in Las Vegas. And she always says, do you still report to that man? <laughs> Did I mention I have a sponsor? <laughs> I have one, and, um, and I love that man. You know, I'm, I'm wrong a lot. Um, and when I'm wrong typically happens outside of my home, retail situations on the freeway. Uh, I have a 10th step, and it it allows me to clean up messes that I make. Thank God for the 10th step. One of the things that that recovery has taught me is that I don't have to engage or fix other people when I'm out there. I don't have to be the guy who's like, look, mother, you know what? You just took up two spots, bro. And back in the day, I mean, I was the guy putting, I put people through windshields. I caused a lot of problems out there. You want to know what a gift it is to be able to see something going on that you used to address and you just walk the other way? I'm not the policeman of anybody, man. And I have no idea what's going on in that man's life. He may have just lost his little girl. He may have someone who's dying of this disease. Maybe he is. So many things my perception of life needs to constantly be redirected because I don't have anything figured out. But when I do these simple things like go to meetings, try to be of help to other people gets me closer to God to share my experience when asked and encourage the new people to keep coming around because none of the people who love you want to lose you. You guys would be killing the wrong person if you do. A guy told me that. I didn't come up with that. I just like it. You need to stick around because we save our own lives here and we also get to help others save theirs. I love that. You know, the 11th step, it talks about prayer and meditation. You guys, I can still struggle with that. I talk in the morning to God. I talk to him sometimes throughout the day. And uh, I do these third and seventh step prayers. I ask God to allow me to be of service to another human being and to please allow me to be somewhat loving and kind. You know, slowly but surely, I've, I've turned into a relatively decent man. I love that. I'm a relatively decent Fairly happy guy. That's a long ways away from coming from dying from this disease called alcoholism. Cold, alone, San Clemente, pajamas, sweating, unable to talk, and having absolutely nothing going on in this life. It's a big difference. The 12th step. I get to see miracles. You guys, the fact that we're all sober today, and by the way, welcome to anyone who may be drinking right now. Welcome, absolutely welcome. You know, I get to see guys like Dustin come in and turn his life around and get love back and the family back, and and you know, there's this, there's nothing better. As a result of what you gave me, I can pass it on, and so this thing continues to work beautifully. Nothing needs to be changed. A lot's happened over the last ten and a half years. I covered the first year pretty well. Um, I've worked the steps numerous times since then. I've had, life has happened in all sorts of, you know, I've gotten very uncomfortable in sobriety. And I heard this one time in a meeting, I really like this. He's like, you know what, you know, when things, when things are, are, are going bad, you know, I do a lot, a lot of stuff in AA. But when things are going good, I do even more. Whoa. I, I, I love that. Meaning, meaning this work doesn't stop. And when, thing, when we're centered with God and we're close to God and we're and do more, man. I don't pull back. I don't want to be the guy who disrespects you guys, g- gives you the middle finger and what happened to him? He stopped going to meetings and he's dead. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that story. For those of you who have been around, we hear that story all the time. Life got good. Thanks for the life, guys. I'm going to take off. And then we're at Forest Lawn and everyone's hearts are broken. The heart stop breaking when we stay sober. I dig that. I freaking dig that. I used to ask the guys often, am I going to be okay? Constantly. You know, we have these, you know, back in the day when AA first started, there was only maybe a meeting or two a week. They'd be gathered at Bill's house, and uh, Dr. Bob and, we have these things called cell phones, and we have connections to other people. And we have meetings everywhere. By the way, more than 1,600 meetings a week here in Orange County, more meetings than any place in the world, in the entire world. I depended upon these men. I would constantly say, am I going to be okay? They'd start laughing. And then they'd be like, you're going to be okay, man. See, I need to hear that from someone else. And so ever since then, what I've done is the same thing that I did when I came in. Here's the good news is I sleep. I sleep. My life has gotten much, much better. You know, I have a little bit of what's called emotional sobriety now. I don't know if you guys have heard yet, but they say, well, your first year is about physical sobriety. I thought, man, if I just stop drinking and doing all that stuff, I'm going to be okay. I had no idea, you guys, that this thing was about changing and growing. I had no clue that I had to grow up. I'm a man. No, you're, you're really not. Look at your reaction to life. Look at how you treat others. That's not a man. So the emotional part is something that I'm still working on, but I can tell you I'm far better today than I was when I came in. Me and my friends who came in at the same time, by the way, it was like herding cats on acid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, coffee? Yeah, yeah, I'll get that. It's like, dude, sit down, man. I mean, it was like six of us running around to meetings together, and I swear to you, it was like, these guys have no compass at all. Just hanging on to our sponsors' shirts, man, and uh, and they would always just laugh and just say, "You know what? We love you." And I want to tell you, the new people, I tell all you guys, they freaking love you. I love the fact that we're here together tonight. You know, it's a Saturday night and it's a little bit after eight o'clock, and I think typically speaking, we're in a different state of mind, and we're not today, by the grace of God by the, uh, the strength of the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, and a program that absolutely works beautifully. Unity is covered right here, because we're together. For the new people, you don't ever have to be alone again, and that was really important for me to hear. You don't have to be alone again even if you want to, and you don't have to drink again even if you want to. The service part, there's a whole lot of stuff that we can do in AA. Scott's doing his service position. We've got all sorts of commitments picking up people, going to detox centers, sharing your experience, strength, and hope, and how about this? How about just reaching out to the new man or the new woman saying, hi, my name is such and such, welcome. I remember to this day, as twisted as I was, the men who reached out, gave me their cards, and said, you know what, would you please keep coming around here? Because see, sober and newly sober, we can make ourselves alone really quick. And it's important that we are surrounded by a group of people who are doing the same thing. So for the new people, just follow. Just follow. So when you're part of this thing and you help other people, people you do these acts of service, you're able to get this thing called recovery. And by the way, recovery might be, the definition may be way different for you. I'll share with you what my definition of recovery is for me. Recovery for me is a little bit of peace. It's a little bit of freedom. It's a little bit of uh, good that happens inside of me. It's truth, it's honesty, it's love, it's joy. When we recover and we do some work around here, all these things happen. I love that. Unity, service, and recovery. Those are my three favorite words. I'm going to finish with this. I'm not a big book quote guy. And I have read it a bunch. I can't believe I can't remember the darn thing very well. And that's a good thing because it keeps me coming back to read the darn thing. There's a line in the in the ch- in the chapter called There is a Solution and it says, today that man is a free man. That man and woman, they are free. So long as we're willing to maintain a simple attitude. I can go anywhere because I'm free today. And I have that highlighted in my book, and you guys, I can sometimes freaking cry while reading it. Because freedom's a big deal for us who have been imprisoned in this in this thing up here in the disease of alcoholism. It's a big deal to be free. So for the new people, I offer you this challenge. Stay sober for a year. Be a part of the we thing. Help some people out. Follow your sponsor. And I'll bet you right now that you might start to score a little bit, a little bit of that thing called recovery. And you won't be breaking any hearts anymore. You guys welcome... It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so happy I get to spend the evening with you guys. There's no other place I'd rather be. By the way, I'm going to be more comfortable in my living room tonight at home because I came here first. Thank you, guys.